0: Welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jonathan Wall joined, as always, by two of my favorite guys, Ryan Brath, Gene Prenti. Boys, it's been a minute since we had three of us on the pod. I can't even remember the last time we had four. RB, how you doing?
1: I'm good. I think we're going to throw a party when Chris gets back from fitting all those golf clubs, though.
0: Yeah. I Yeah, Chris is still doing fittings up in Boston. And... We've given him a hard time, but apparently these fittings go from early morning until evening, so he has literally no time for us, yahoos. So we're just going to do it as as a trio, at least for now, until he's he's back amongst the living. Uncle Gene, how are we doing?
2: I'm doing all right. I I sound like I a swollen like broad. Death. And I finally uh, all the travel caught up to me, so just please forgive my horrific voice and. Those of you who can't stand my voice anyways, not get, because you're going to have to listen to it even worse today, but oh well. We'll
0: try and keep it the topics I feel where you don't have a
2: little, to talk a little. I feel a little cranky today. Let's just put little, it that
0: way. A little cranky, a little crusty. Yep. Yeah. It's just a normal yeah, day for Gene. Yeah. Well, this is weird because <laughs> RB and I have been on the road a lot here recently, and Gene has as well. It I have to say it is a little bit strange being home. RB, you were on the road for four weeks, so I know, yeah, I know it's nice to be able to spend a little bit of time with the family.
1: It's actually weird, like seeing the players right now because we're getting. I mean, we're getting a lot of intel. Like you know, we've covered stuff. that We're gonna. I mean, we're talking about today. We've got Adam Scott's irons. We've got um, driver changes. You know, all these things going on at the the event at Sawgrass right now at, at TPC at the players, but we're not there. And I think to me, it's always kind of like weird after being on the road for so many weeks to be like home and it's like. I want to go dive around a van and open up drawers right now, <laughs> but like I can't in my head. I'm like, Oh man, I want to go and, like now. Like I spent the last couple of days, like when I have free time, like kicking around in my shop, which I'm recording in right now. And I'm like, Oh, I got some shafts in now. I'm going to build a set over there, build, you know, tweak around with that and go to, go to order some ferrules, do all those other things, you know, all the, all the, sh- the van techs have to do uh, when they're on the road. But uh, no, I, I'm, I think actually, I mean, you're, we have some events in Texas coming up. So that's going to be like, you're, it's right in your wheelhouse. I say that like people talk about Canada and they're like, oh, you know, my friend Bob in Montreal or whatever. And it's like, um, you know, let's be real. Like, I remember someone asking me one thing, like, oh, do you know so-and-so in like Calgary? And I'm like, do you realize how far freaking Calgary is from like, <laughs> to, like Toronto? Like they are not even in the same like remote area of the country, but people just think like everything's really close. And in reality, like it's not at all. So, like, I love having seen Texas on a map, way in I understand that yeah. it is a very, very, very large state.
0: Yeah. Do you know my cousin who he lives out in Abilene? Isn't, that's not too far away from you, is it? No, just a few hours and change. Um. Uh, yeah. So, as you mentioned, Players Championship week, we we're not there. Access just isn't really all that great. Not not to throw anybody under the bus, but you know, we're used to being able to to get inside the ropes most weeks and most weeks, all weeks. And this is one of those where they, they treat it a lot. It's only been in the last like four to five years where the the tour has tried to, they try to turn it into like a mini masters where if you go to the masters for those that have, have had the privilege of going, even if you have a media credential, you can't step foot on the range. You can't, you know, walk onto the putting green. You gotta kind of hang back, and so it makes things a little bit difficult. Difficult when you're trying to take photos of golf clubs and, and do your job. So similar for players so in, week. But. I say,
1: in your experience, what is so? Is that the worst or be- I wouldn't say worst, but hardest to tr- cover? What's the easiest to cover for you? Because I got mine after already. I'm excited to go back this year.
0: Well, I mean, the easiest there are the ones like Torrey's very easy because the tour trucks are situated you know, a hundred yards from the driving range. So you can go from the range of the trucks and then, you know, it's a very short walk over to the putting green, you know, anytime for, for us, anytime that you can get in close proximity to the range, the putting green and the trucks, and you don't have a long hoof, those are great. So I, I would say Torrey's certainly up there. Um, Vegas is a fun one because the range in the, the media center like the media center is located literally on the range so you can step out of the media center onto the range and, and do your work but it is a little bit of a walk to get back to the truck so yeah i think any like i said anything with close proximity but which okay which were you gonna say
1: i going just say the travelers i understand why players like it like you know i used to always wonder and i said i've said this before like why do the trail, like, first of all, we know why they get a bunch of players. They pay people to go like, let's not be stupid. Every tournament does it. Okay. Let's get that out of the way. All right. There's a reason, you know, a lot of players show up to the RBC because RBC pays big money for the Kane open. And then, you know, players go play with corporate guys on, on, you know, Monday at some fancy course around Toronto or whatever, like that's you know, it's here or there, but the trucks are right on the driving range. Like they're right there. You just walk from the driving range, you walk back to it, putting green chipping area, and then you hit all the trucks and they're all right there. And the media center, they've got like a million very friendly volunteers just driving back and forth there. They're always happy to give you a ride. I like walking because they spend a lot of time sitting anyway. So when I'm on the road, I get to walk around the golf course like, oh, can we get your ride? Can we get your ride? It's uh, it's very Canadian of them if I I was to say that myself. But I think that whole like – and the range there is unbelievable. It's so big. Which I think yeah, is, is fascinating. Like it's probably like 150 yards long. It's nuts. I can see why why players do enjoy going there because it is a pretty laid back atmosphere. Um, but uh, you know, my next event is going to be Hilton Head, and I'm excited to see where they how they put the net up to protect it's golf uh,
0: <coughs> yeah, protect favorite, houses or whatever. Yeah, one of my favorite stops on tour. You don't have to worry about that. It, the way they <clears> have <throat> the range set up, there are, there are no homes in in close proximity to the to the driving range but yeah Hilton Head's a great one because it's right after the Masters. Guys are still riding the high, at least those that made the cut of of having been at Augusta and everybody's in a good mood. Hilton Head's very low key, love the low country. It's it is by far like if I'm going like favorite tour stops to attend, Hilton Head's probably top 3 for me. It's it's awesome. The only thing that is not great is the the drive. I mean Unless you, unless you can try and, and get direct into Hilton Head, which is tough. Even for me living in Dallas, when you've got DFW and direct flights everywhere, you, I still have to fly into Savannah and from there. And maybe it's because of my airline. But yeah, so to fly to Savannah, it's an, it's an hour drive. It's a little like their circuitous route, as I told you, RB. But it's a fun one. So you, you will certainly enjoy it. But let's get back to the players. There was a little bit of gear news early in the week. And I would say the big story here is Adam Scott. Adam Scott is going to put in, maybe, it sounds like he is now, he's going to put in a fresh set of Mira blades. For those that, that don't know, and I guess there were some out there because I received a couple of messages after I posted these photos, but Adam Scott is no longer a Titleist staffer, at least for the clubs. And that threw a few people for a loop. But he parted ways with Titleist on the, the hard goods, meaning the golf club side, last year. He's been a free agent. And about 10 months ago, he showed up at Memorial with this sweet set of mirror blades. And they were stamped with his with his logo on the head. And come to find out, there was this great story about how Adam Scott was looking at the Nicholas Mira collaboration, those the irons that came out. And just loved the look of these. And so he reached out to Mira, and that just started a dialogue. And they eventually said, Hey, look, you know, we we know that you like the Nicholas Mira collaboration. Maybe we can collaborate with you on a set. So Adam talked to Mira. He actually recently I saw there was some footage of him. He went over to Mira's headquarters in Katsuhiro Mira like let him on the grinding wheel. I mean, just some really cool stuff. Like Adam Scott to me is like a gear nerd. If you talk to him about irons, especially old irons, he will go like deep down a rabbit hole on, on iron design. And I think that's why he enjoyed working with the so much, but it doesn't look like this new set that he has at the players. It doesn't look that different from his set. I would almost dare say they look identical, but the the interesting little additions, and it does kind of make you wonder. You know, his last set were completely blank, free of Miro logos. And now all of a sudden he's got the Hanko stamp, which is that little red stamp. If you look at the KM 700s, it is sort of uh, Murasan's seal of approval on the irons. And this set that Adam has, has the Hanko stamp. And then it also has the Miro logo on the sole, which interestingly enough is in the same spot. If you were to look at the Nicholas Mira collaboration, they have that little mirror logo on the sole. So I don't know. It does make you wonder, makes you wonder what's going on. But all of a sudden those blank irons are now starting to show up with, with mirror logos on them.
1: It, it made me think of the, uh, the uh, what's it called? The, the link soul ones. They did like the, yes, the color that's theory the other one set. with yeah. the, 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 the color, like just the dots the colors. and the colors on the bottom. Yep. That's, that was kind of like my first thought with those. Um, and you know, like, For those who are listening, like we're not just drooling over these things because they're like, you know, golf and 8am and are all under, in Mira are all under kind of like a similar umbrella. It's like, no, as a gear nerd, like I can be distinctly remember being at like Rocket Mortgage last year. And like Adam's sitting there and he's talking to some of the, like uh, the Mizuno guys at the time. And he's like, he's got an iron up and he's got another iron up and he's talking to them and they're bringing him an older blade that they had kicking around and he's sitting there and he's like, he's talking and I'm like, I'm a fly on the wall because to me, there's a lot of players who have no understanding of their gear or let's say limited understanding of the gear. They're just like, I like this because it works and I don't like this because it doesn't work. And they don't really think too much about it. But for Adam, like he's obviously looking for a very particular look. And I shared the image that you had of the irons. And it's always interesting that people are like, Oh, how did he play irons with so much offset? Or how does he play this or that? And I'm like, I
0: want to get into this. I'm like, keep, keep why are you kidding? Like,
1: it's just, it, I think it's, it's a visual preference than, and more than anything else. Um, it's kind of like just, you know, some people like a driver that looks a certain way or something like a fairway that looks, looks a certain way or wedges that are more rounded or leaning edge or all this stuff. But to, to be able to like look at a, an iron for him, like he's a little bit more old school. And I think some players just prefer a certain look. And I mean, I've got irons kicking around here in my shop. Some have almost zero offset or onset on them. And I have really old irons that have a ton of offset, even in the short irons. And, you know, do I necessarily think that I would use them all the time. No, but I do like using them. And, you know, it's just a matter of like getting used to like what it looks like. And for him, he's got a preference. He's one of the best players in the world. And guess what? He gets exactly what he freaking wants. It's like Gene. Someone hauls up Gene and goes, Hey, Gene, I want a robot. Guess what? Gene's going to make that guy a freaking robot.
0: Because <laughs> he's going to get what he's going to get paid doing it.
2: You see, jump, I see how high. I did reheat because the DP World Tour
1: posted that video of Rory hitting shots into that. Uh, that laundry, uh, the dryer, the washing machine—that
0: was jeans was robot. And I was, and
1: I was like, "That's the robot." And people, because people don't realize it doesn't have the the head on it, right? Like you know, the head, the the head that you guys do for some of the videos, or like the hole in one at Phoenix. And I was like, "See, that's what it looks like. That's the same robot we test our drivers on." But uh,
2: well, you know, now you know. What it so looks like. that was the that was the inspiration. That was the first real kind of commercial viral hit we did, and we realized that we had something. And that's why we developed the mobile robot because um basically getting that thing out there was a little bit like a monkey screwing a football. I mean, it was a total train wreck to get it out on, on that driving range and get it set up. And so we realized there was an interest for it. And that's when we kind of designed the uh, the the mobile version to to be able to do that. But no, that was uh that was a funny shoot. There were a couple lines in there that didn't make it. <laughs> and one of them, my favorite. Who was the voice of the Rory? Robot again? Was I feel like we've talked he, he was this com- He was this comedian. His name was Jeff. I can't remember his last name. He was from London. It was done by Saatchi and Saatchi out of London. And um, I mean, so it was a two-hour take. They didn't give Rory any script. And they just told him he was going to hit balls into a washing machine. And it wasn't edited. It just it just kept blowing. And Rory shows up, and the guy's like, you're Irish, Rory. Were you on the piss last night? You're a little hugover. Like, just give it a degree, busting his balls about his football team. I mean, it was hilarious. But the best line that didn't make it was Rory's lining up a shot. And he's like, you know, got a little happy feet. He's getting his feet ready. And the comedian goes, Rory, he goes, you have a really nice ass. He goes, I really like your ass, Rory. And he goes, with your ass and Colin Montgomery's tits, you guys could be in Playboy. And just brought the place down. I mean, had to stop production. Rory fell over laughing. We're all sitting there peeing our pants. And if you watch it, they do do a cut in there where he doubles over. He's laughing, and he's not laughing at the joke for that. He's laughing actually at the uh, R-rated joke that he told. But yeah, it mm-hmm. was a it was a fun experience. It was a fun experience. He he had no idea what he was getting into, and was a little overwhelmed. But he was a good sport, and he was going through a tough time at that point. He had just made the number one ranking like two or three weeks earlier and he was struggling and grinding. But you know, I, I, I've got a profound respect for those guys because of the obligations that they have. In addition to being elite golfers, like he spent two and a half hours with us filming this. And then right when he walked off, there was like a Nike wardrobe section of six people with shirts and pants. And he had to spend another hour Deciding his outfits for the Honda. And, you know, it's just those guys, you know, the hey, they get paid athlete. for it. Yeah, but it's just, it's fascinating. And the other cool thing that's really weird, and I heard this about Michael Jordan, and I get it. There's this like unwritten policy. You don't talk to the talent because if you talk to the talent, everybody would want to come up and talk to the talent, right? And that doesn't work. Everybody has to do their job, but it has this paradoxical effect he just stands out there on an island by himself like when they're setting up cameras or doing something nobody talks to him and like kind of ignores him like he's not there and it's just it's a very kind of surreal environment that you've got the most important person standing there and everybody's like ignoring him and walking around and not acknowledging him but anyways yeah it was it was it was a fun day shoot all right well
0: i i do want to to get into the offset and a little bit of maybe the history of of offset and blades. But before we do RB, I think we need to to give a shout out to the fine folks at Golf Pride.
1: Well, yeah, you know, offset is really comes down to personal preference. And a lot of times, so does your grip. Golf Pride is known for not just being a grip, but it's a piece of performance equipment that is part of your golf club. And it is the only connection that you have between you and your clubs. So you better like it. And it's a good thing if you have it fit. Now, one of the cool things about it is, Golf Pride does a ton of testing and uh, with with consumers about innovations and feel and texture and all these different things. And one of the studies they conducted shows that golfers can actually gain distance when they are have a grip that is fresh because it's giving you more traction it's like you're not gonna go drive around a track with you know worn out tires and to be honest i was swinging some golf clubs the other day i grabbed a club with an old grip on it and i'm gonna be honest i nearly put it through the roof of my garage so uh you know it's gonna get a new grip on it um <clears throat> The other part of this too is just like your shoes, it's not one size fits all. There are different tapers, there are different textures, there are all kinds of different sizes, and it's really important that you have one that fits you for the type of golf that you play. Like if you're looking for the ultimate in traction control, you've got the MCC, which is the multi-compound cord. You've got the Z-grip, which features cord all the way through it. Then if you're looking for something that's really firm, you have the Z-grip, which again is the cord all the way through. And then you have other options like the CPX and the CP2, both of which are designed to offer a huge amount of comfort as well as soft performance. And the CPX, which is their newest performance and the softest script they've ever come up with, works with, you know, like those old, um, what do they call them? You know, like your bike, your old BMX bike that has that like cushiony put like that. And you're riding over bumps and it get all that cushion and uh, traction control on your hands. Well, the CPX does that. So by actually reducing the amount that touches your hands, you still get texture, but you also get the vibration dampening. We talk so much about vibration dampening when it comes to graphite shafts, but you know, that shaft has to go into something before it goes to your hands and the grip is that and the CPX or something like the CP2 can really help. Now, if you're looking for more information on all kinds of the grips that Golf Pride has, including other putter grips as well, you can go to golfpride.com. That's G-O-L-F-P-R-I-D-E.com. I'm assuming all of you can spell that. It's pretty easy. It's a compound word. Uh, but when you are there and when you are at golfpride.com, use the code fully Equipped. Now, I will spell this one for you, F-U-L-L-Y-E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D, to get free shipping on your next order from golfpride.com. That is available on all orders within the U.S., and there is no minimum purchase required. So if you want to try a bunch of different grips out, it's a great way to do it and get them shipped right to you for free.
0: Love it. All right, back to offset just for a second. And then we'll get into Kirk Kitayama's driver change from last week. But as RB, as you mentioned, what makes Adam's blades different than a lot of today's blades is the, the offset that you see on these. Not only that, but his has a longer blade length, which is something that Tiger Woods really likes in his blades. But it made me wonder, like when did we see this change with blades from having some semblance of offset to having practically no offset? Because I, I really cannot find a traditional blade like from a current model out there that has offset. Everything is either zero or or practically i mean if you look at like the cobra the uh, ricky fowler irons like those have onset i mean they're crazy but it does make me wonder like when when did this change happen was it I, i guess i'd have to go back a little bit to see but it feels like it's been more recent where where we went from having a little bit in a blade to having none
1: i think that the transition comes down to a couple things and it's if you look at older blade profiles as well one thing that I always find very interesting is the soles are very flat. Now, speaking of mirror, speaking of Jack Nicklaus, if you go look at Jack's old irons, uh, like McGregor profiles, or J, JN, JPNs or JNPs, Jack Nick, J JPN, or whatever it is, um, very, very flat profile on those McGregors, and they have a lot of offset. And it's not that players weren't fast, because obviously someone like Jack had a lot of speed, Arnold Palmer had a lot of speed, but I think what happened was, the understanding of how to hit shots out of the, out of the ground. And if you look at the golf ball, the evolution of the golf ball, this is kind of like this whole kind of flowing through as equipment changes is a lot of players weren't huge. And I think Palmer was a little different because he he was pretty aggressive with his divots, but net Jack always talked about hitting it pretty shallow. So he didn't need a lot of bounce. And for him, I think what Adam has mentioned, I've heard other players talk about it before Offset helps them feel like they can cover the golf ball more and covers just means creating forward press into it. But just because you're, you're creating shaffling doesn't also mean that you have to be steep. You can be shallow and create shaffling and create really good compression. I think that's something that again a lot of people don't necessarily understand. Um, And then the other kind of part of this is that you just had this slow evolution of like what players prefer. And as you take offset out of a golf club, you put the center of gravity closer to the the shaft, the way it moves, and then you're also changing the progression of of the face. So if you think of a driver, and everyone thinks that a driver shaft bends like up, or sorry, like flexes towards this, but it actually flexes up and out a little bit because the, the handle wants to align with the center of gravity. And by creating that where it doesn't want to flex as much, it doesn't want to necessarily create as much dynamic loft, you have more control. And I think as players have gotten faster and generally steeper, and Mizuno with their shaft optimizer has shown that like over the course of the years that they've used this data, they've actually seen that players have gotten faster and generally steeper with their irons. There is this idea of creating more balance and more control. And you see it with Justin Thomas's irons. You see it with even like something like the, the T-100S or, um, I'm looking at the, the Z-Forge now. I've got a set sitting over there, like not a set, I have a couple of them sitting over there in a bag. There's not a lot of offset in those golf clubs, but then depending on the player, you see them built into you know game improvement clubs because it helps create dynamic loft for players that are shallow, but it also for players that want to trap the ball. Someone like Scott, who has mentioned that longer blade length, here we go. I know this is a diatribe of like very nerdiness on the club head design, but as you increase the the blade length it's harder to close you're changing closure rate so for him if you have offset that makes it slightly easier to close the club face and trap the ball or chap chap's a really bad word but i'm going to use it to trap the ball and create forward shaft lean. it kind of narrows and, and eliminates that longer blade length and what it does so or it eliminates the factor of that so you're able to close it you're able to hit the shot that is in some cases say right to left or left to right for someone who's wanting to hit a draw that might be just a little bit easier and I just think from uh, a player's perspective, it's just become kind of a custom that, like, you don't want to have as much offset in their irons. And I think we see that from a lot of the top players. I know Rory still has his Rory Protos, and having held those in my hand, they are a low offset blade and they look ridiculously good. Um, but I don't think that you can just say, and again, forgetting it from the comments on Instagram, people are like, that looks gross. I'm like, yeah, well, does Adam's dot swing look gross? cuz like i don't think he can speak for anything buddy like no, no offense but like i mean do what i always choose that golf club no but i would because it looks cool and like there's a reason for it for that player and they are an adam scott personal model it's not like oh we just put them out there and oh adam decided to use them it's like no those are for right. him yeah, just you, like web simpson web simpson has the titleist thing too longer yeah. blade length so just an- more offset yeah shallower blade it's all right there and web is like i don't think i've ever seen web hit a cut in my life <laughs> like that dude just goes just hits little draws. So it comes down to your shot shape. And I think that's why.
0: Gene, can you, well, could you uh, quantify the, if you were to take a, an iron with say like zero offset and one with like some semblance, could you, could you quantify like how much tighter dispersion would be with, with the, at least a little bit of offset? You know,
2: no there really shouldn't be to be honest with you once you square both of them up you've got the same head so you're going to have the same deviation pattern the only thing that you could make the argument about uh which we've talked about in the last two pods is kind of a high draw versus a power fade are you is your shot shape resulting in um more accuracy and it's interesting i had a conversation actually with foresight uh, this week, about they were commenting on our pods and asking me some questions, and they actually have some interesting data that I want to explore. Some player testing data that may prove kind of our theories that the power fade actually has a tighter dispersion pattern than a uh, than a high draw. So I think it's more the shot shape. But what I'd like to interject in the conversation, from a robot standpoint, it means absolutely nothing because we take offset and we open it up to hit the ball straight or, you know, no offset and we close it down. Let's say it's, you know, onset, we close it down to hit it straight. Uh, Unless we put them in exactly the same, but what, what I found and what's really interesting is it's all a function of how your eye looks at the club. And then to RB's point, how the club is delivered. And you can have, Forward press. You can have um, you can have a steep angle where you're changing your spine angle. That's causing that. That's not creating that forward press. There's multiple ways, and you know it, we're getting really geeky. And this isn't what the pod's about is lessons and teaching. But there's multiple ways to attack the ground and strike a golf ball. And ultimately, I think what comes down to these player preferences is what gives them the most confidence based upon their swings type to do so. And as we've seen over the years, things change. You know, players start chasing a certain type of swing. Players start looking at, and everybody looks up the food chain, right? And whoever's performing the best, they all start chasing it. And so players will adapt their swings, etc. But offset, no offset. From a testing standpoint, doesn't really matter. I mean, the only thing that matters on offset, and we've done this test, and it's a pretty simple test for like high handicap players that you've got a a club that's hooded, you know, two or three degrees close. If you put that club in versus a club that's square, the ball's going to go 30 yards more to the left than it would normally. And that's helping you cut that 30 yards of slice out of the game. But for these players, the amount we're talking about is very minimal. And it's usually just a function of where their delivery is, excuse me, and what gives them the most confidence.
1: I think, too, with with wedges, um, people talk about like the I2 wedge. And there's a function there when it comes to wedges and you're opening up the face. And I think this is really like a key element when it comes to offset and the hosel transition into the head is that when you open up the club face of a of a ping wedge, because it kind of comes out and has so much offset, it actually reduces the amount of ground contact there. And if you've ever held a wedge up and turned it, if you hold up a, like a, a PM grind or a lot like any of those style, like a, you know, a glide 4.0, I2 grind or eye grind, whatever you want to call it, and you hold it to your, then you face the grooves toward your face and you start rotating that club face open. All of a sudden that hosel completely disappears and you've got a lot smaller sole area. And I think it's one of the most clever designs of wedges ever, which is why they continue to use that, that hosel transition and why it's so um, uh, so prevalent still to this day um, because of the way that the hosel interacts with the ground. But it does, it does the exact opposite when you're hitting iron because you're hitting with a square club face and it has no effect on... Know the ground contact because it's all just part of the sole, and you're hitting it
0: square. Yeah, it's. I mean, I too. I think there's a reason why we we see a lot of other manufacturers trying to to copy that wedge design. It just works.
1: I would also. I also want to say to everybody, everyone who's listening and who has listened to the show, we we really appreciate everyone listening along. We know it's. Uh, we, we got a, a very uh, core group of nerds that love equipment and if you just stuck around for that whole thing you freaking rock so i want to say thank you to everybody because we just went down an offset rabbit hole there for a while but uh it was it's funny because that's what we do but uh, i know again to everyone who listens to the podcast thanks for listening to that and uh hope you enjoyed that little uh trip down offset lane
0: <laughs> <laughs> so to say uh i shouldn't have opened my big mouth that was uh no, it was very informative. And I'm, I'm sure, I mean, that's all we're trying to do with the pod. We're trying to inform and to make golfers smarter about their gear so they understand what the heck's going on. So they don't just pick up a club and think a golf club is a golf club. Like there's a lot of of thought and effort that goes into designing each one of these clubs that comes out. Um, all right. Other topic I wanted well, to get that,
2: into. That being said, real real quick, just for kind of everybody's oh, here we go. basic knowledge. No, go no, 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 this is a good hole. No, this is just real quick. You want to know what offset is? Say in your driver, close your driver three degrees, and then regrip it. That's offset right there. In other words, you know, regrip it with it closed, and take a swing and see what happens. And most people just think, "Oh, okay, I grip the club based on you know the reminders or the index lines." But if you want to see offset in a practical fashion, just open or open or close your club, regrip it. And then put a normal swing on it and you'll see what the effect offset is. And it's just – it's a real simple way um, on the range to understand what the relationship is between opening and closing the
0: club face. I'm yeah. done. I, I, know. <laughs> I, I know. I I don't want you to talk much more because I'm, I'm afraid that we're going to lose you on on the pod. <laughs> 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 All right. Kurt Kiduyama's driver oh. – Kitiyama was the winner last week at Bay Hill. He he has a major blunder late in the round, still finds a way to to hold it together and win with a birdie on the 17th hole. Great win for him. He's he's a good player. Interesting thing about him. Kirk Kitiyama stands at 5 feet 7 inches. That's actually 2 inches shorter than Rory McIlroy. And Rory is is one of the, in stature, one of the shorter players on the PGA Tour. But oh, by the way, Rory actually leads the PGA Tour this year in driving distance, uh, just a little over 328 yards. Um, The reason why I bring Rory up is because he is the epitome of a guy who gets every single ounce of energy out of his frame. And Kitayama is pretty similar. Last season, he ranked 20th on tour in ball speed at 180 miles an hour, which is really good. And it just goes to show you that just because you're 5'7 doesn't mean you still can't, you know, pump it out there. But one of the things that uh Kurt and his team noticed going into Bay Hill was from pretty much you know seven wood on down in his bag, everything felt really good from a, a contact consistency standpoint, meaning that when you know Kurt's hitting it well, when he's swinging it well. He's he's getting very consistent contact. It's not he's not feeling like, oh man, the the club's a little bit, you know, too toey or or the heels digging in. Everything feels very consistent. A lot of that has to do with lie angle, which I want to get into on this. That's where in the three wood and the driver, Kurt started to notice like something was off. And it's interesting because he's averaging this season, if you look at last year, he was at 180 mile an hour ball speed for the entire year. This year, again, small sample size because we're only into March, but he's up over two miles an hour at 182.8 with the new TaylorMade Stealth two driver. But the contact consistency, he just didn't really feel like he was getting really solid contact when he when you know he's hitting it dead nuts out of the center. So he worked with TaylorMade tour rep, Adrian Rietveldt, friend of the pod, love Adrian. He's one of the most insightful tour reps out there. And Adrian and Kurt did some work on the range. And one of the things that Adrian noticed was, in his opinion, from watching Kurt hit the ball, because Adrian is very much old school where he just wants to look at ball flight. He wants to you know, get a lot of the measurables that you're not gonna be pulling off a launch monitor. and. He immediately said, "All right, I think you need to go shorter." So going to a shorter shaft, and I think you need to change the lie angle on your driver. So one of the first things that they did was they went to a tailor-made stealth two plus head with the one degree loft sleeve, meaning one degree increments when you're adjusting the the loft on the sleeve. And it was set in the standard upright setting to create a lie angle of 57 degrees. That was actually one degree flatter than what Kurt had previously been playing. And then Adrian went to a shorter shaft. So he stayed in the graphite design. Kurt was in previously a 45 and a quarter graphite design, two or 80 UB7 TX. Um, and he then went into a Forty-four and three quarters. So he cut a half inch off this, and he went into the Tour 80 Di Seven X, and those two changes seemed to to fix at least the consistency problem that Kurt was having. He started to feel more consistent contact. Um, spin was a little bit up, so Adrian just flipped the weights. He moved the the fifteen gram weight that had been in the front. To an 18 gram weight in the front, and then move the 15 gram to the back of the head. That again, moving more mass towards the front is going to help reduce spin. He was two to 300 RPMs too high. Now he's back to where he needs to be. But you know, we we talk about weight changes, but for me, being a, a gear nerd, and I know you guys probably picked up on this. You know, we're talking about lie angle with a driver. Like this is not like we we we've talked about lie angle before on the podcast and the importance of of lie angle when it comes to your irons and your wedges. Because if you have a club where the sole is not sitting flush on the turf, if if that toe is too high and you're impacting with that heel, it doesn't matter how good you're swinging it, you're not gonna get consistent impact. It's going to be inconsistent. But here we have a guy Who's talking about having issues with his driver and his three wood? And now we're talking about a tour rep who's making modifications in this area. I mean, I, maybe it's just me, guys, but when I read a story like when I read a story like this, for me as a golfer, I'm like, whoa, lie angle. That's kind of interesting. I wonder if I wonder if I should be looking at my driver as well the same way that Kirk Kitayama is.
1: So the the one qualifier I will say about this, uh, you know, you talked about um, Kitty Yama's height there and Rory's height. If you, I think if you go to, I can't remember, you go to PJ tour, Rory's like five eleven. Let me tell you, if Rory's nine five it doesn't it listen five, nine. Okay. Five Cause nine. I just went to John Rahm's profile and he's listed as 220 pounds. And let me tell you, I've stood next to that boy. He's not 220 pounds. <laughs> I'm sure. Still I'm sure my like profile is very truck. nice. And it's, it still has my high school weight in there too. Um, but the 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 interesting thing is um, is speed, and this is crucial because when we talk about lie angle on any golf club or any golf club having def- an effect, any uh, performance characteristic having an effect on a golfer, the faster that player swings, the more that we're going to see this impact. And it's the same that we we did a video recent, like a little while ago, where uh, I know Gene talked about it. That was really funny. It was like you know you see the the players at the old like seniors at the club, and they just kind of bunt it out there 150 yards, and it goes perfectly straight every time. It's just because there's not enough force generated to create variance um, as far as um, spin axis and all of this stuff which is why you see your people at slower speeds hit they, why they hit so many fairways because they're not there's not as much variance the further that golf ball goes out 1 degree makes a big difference on how much further of right or left of target it's going to go <clears throat> someone like kurt who obviously is into the 180s in ball speed that lie angle, which might not have a huge effect if he was swinging at 160 miles an hour, you had know, 20 miles or ball speed travel, at, say 160 miles an hour. As soon as it gets to 180 miles an hour, that one degree variance can mean like 10, like, you know, more than 10 yards further down offline than it would be. It's like the old Sean Foley thing when he talked about Tiger being the most accurate driver on tour when he was one of the fastest. And it was because, you know, if you look at his this cone of dispersion, the further and the faster it goes, the further it's going to go out. If you miss it, it's just plain old physics. So for him to be able to dial that in, I think is why it's so crucial. And I think for a lot of players, when you look at modern fairy woods, and this is one that I think a lot of people should pay attention to. I think this is what Callaway mentioned when they readjusted and added the adjustability back to their fairy woods as well. Pay attention to length, which is what Kurt did. As you go shorter, just like with your irons, the club effectively plays flatter. Doesn't m- play flatter by the the actual number on the club, but it effectively plays flatter because you're moving closer to your body. And not only that, but they've made the club flatter again. So for a lot of players, when you're buying off-the-rack woods, and if you're someone who is like of average, even me, like someone who's average height, 5'11, like I don't, I can't hit a 43 and a half inch fairy wood off the deck. It's very difficult. Because it's longer, it sits a little bit more toe up, and I feel like it wants to go left all the time, um, even though there's only 15 degrees aloft on it. So I think it's important for a lot of players as they get faster, and this definitely applies to faster players or players that are struggling with directional misses with their fairy woods. It's just like lie angle on a, on a wedge. You know, we talked about earlier, right? Like your lie angle is off on your irons. Like why am I always missing to the left or always missing to the right? Lie angle affects start direction. I recently just did a video on this. You can go check it out at golf.com talking about draw bias drivers and why it's so important. But if you are someone who's trying to play a specific shot, whether it be a draw or a fade or whatever it is, that line angle becomes more critical as you get faster. And you're looking at start lines. And this is the one thing that I know Johnny wonder from Callaway as well always talks about too, is yes, they have different drivers on tour. They have a couple different options They have the S model and they have a couple other like kind of little tweaky ones. But the one thing with, for like Xander's driver is the offset, Face progression on his driver is slightly different because of the shot he likes to see and the shape that he plays. So for someone like Kurt, a little bit flatter driver change the weight around. He's probably changing his start line probably because he's, he's, he was in a draw, wasn't he? He, cause he missed it left out of bounds, wasn't it? I can't remember. Yep. Yeah. yeah, he did. So he's being a draw guy. He probably needs to go flatter to get that lot, that start line further, right of target to have it come back. And that that's all the flatter line will does. And it's changing the start line, which means it changes dispersion down range, which means he's going to hit it closer to his target when he's hitting a preferred ball flight. Or what it's also doing is it's reducing spin axis tilt. So you don't get as much tilt. So you don't get as much draw out of it. So he doesn't have to aim as far right to try and have swing it back. So if he does happen to hit it straight or doesn't fade or draw as much, you don't have this situation where you blast it down the right side and it doesn't curve. And the next thing you know, it's out of bounds because you aim basically in a spot where it shouldn't go. So I think that is where, although we don't normally talk about line goal on clubs that have less loft on them, the faster a player gets, the more crucial it is. And when we're dealing with PGA tour players, a couple of degrees at a golf club that's traveling 120 miles an hour makes a big freaking difference. And obviously cashed <coughs> a nice big check. For, what is it? 3.6 million bucks. Mwah! That's a, that's a, you know, it's a worthwhile change. If you ask me,
0: You led the, you led the tournament in driving accuracy. So, you know, another crucial stat at a place like Bay Hill where there's water around every corner, but Arby, you, you bring something interesting up, which is that the, the line goal comes more into play as the ball speed starts to increase. And it just, for whatever reason, again, it maybe just with Bryson's recent change with the with the irons and the wedge it just brings me back to a conversation that I had with with Cobra's VP of R and D, Tom Mulsawski, talking about. This was just after Bryson had made those comments about you know driver sucks, and just what as as you get into those faster swing speeds, like if you're a guy in the top 20 in ball speed on the PGA Tour, I mean you really are on a razor's edge. When it when it comes to you know little little minor changes that a guy that that's you know an average golfer who's not swinging at anywhere close to that speed they don't have to worry about but when you're a guy like a Bryson or even like a Kirk Kitayama these these are things you have to take into consideration.
1: I think Ping, well, Ping I, even I touches th- on it with their their um, the sleeve right you can go three degrees flat in your driver, which. Right you know, for them is that they, they talk about that. Not a lot of companies like obviously Taylor is helping players. It's on their sleeve. It says upright. If you go to set it right. But a lot of companies don't talk about that as a fitting element. And I think, yeah, to, like you said, like it's an important part of getting fit for a driver other than just necessarily just tweaking loft. but.
2: Well, and I think the importance is having a launch monitor that gives you an accurate dynamic lot angle at impact because how you deliver the club versus how you address the club can be totally different. But to your point, we've done tests on all these and absolutely you, your, your line angles toe up, balls going to the left, it's toe down, ball going to the right. Simple. So to your point, to your fan point, agree with it. hundred percent. It comes down to face angle. Now face angle, 95 miles an hour. One degree of face angle is about 10 to 15 yards at 115 miles an hour that goes up to 25 yards. That is one degree of face angle. You can't visually see one degree of face angle. When I open and close it on the robot, I have to hit the shot and look at the launch monitor to make sure that I did it accurately because I can't visually see that. That's how small that difference is. So to your point, he could be simply delivering that club a little two-toe up, causing that ball to draw a little bit, you get a little toe down, it changes the direction of the face angle and straightens it right up.
0: and you're just using four side GC quad for for testing to get out to gather all those numbers yes. Right, Gene? yeah yes yeah
2: yeah it, like, it gives us cool. the it gives us the most accurate numbers as far as uh, base uh, it gives us the most accurate numbers as far as club head delivery that we're looking at and able to analyze these things and change the club head and then see what the net effect is.
1: It's like what um, you know, a couple podcasts ago when I talked to, to Lou Stagner from Arcos, it's like, you know, he works with tour players as well and they, they understanding data and you're just your dispersion, right? Like a, a driver is not a like, yes, when you're watching a player on Sunday and even Kurt was missing some shots with his driver, right? Like the dispersion is not, you're not a sniper. <laughs> People are like, Oh yeah, I'm going to feed it down this little, thing and like you know wiggle it down to that little spot there like yeah maybe right but the dispersion is a shotgun like it is it is the further you go you're changing that thing it's getting bigger it's getting wider right so the goal is just to kind of get that at a certain distance to try and dial in as much as possible and that's why you see players you know they might say they might miss in the rough a little bit more but that's okay because they're closer to the green this is where that dialing in again for faster speeds it's like (laughs) you're driving a car, right? If your alignment is off on your car, you're doing 40 miles an hour going down the highway. You're like, well, I don't notice really anything, right? You get to 80 miles an hour, that steering wheel's shaking like crazy and you're like, what the hell is going on? Well, it's this, I mean, the alignment hasn't changed. It's just the fact that you're going faster. So you feel it more because it's working its way through the, the, the car. There you go. First car analogy. That took a while. Um, but yeah, like the faster that golf club head goes, the more it's going to make a difference. And I think... It's like, you know, we talk about how how incredibly accurate women are on the LPGA Tour when it comes to hitting fairways. It's because they don't swing as fast, which is fine, but they're also, that's like a huge benefit because they're also hitting way, way, way more fairways than the men are, which means it's it's actually, I'm like, one of the most exciting events I'm going to go see this year is like the U.S. Women's Open at Pebble Beach because, you know, everyone else, everyone's out there like just blasting and trying to hit and It's like, No. <laughs> they're going to be hitting fairways to hit in hit in those greens. And it's going to be fascinating to watch. And I think it's just a different way the game is played. And for you know players at that high, high speed, just like you go see long drive players, when they miss one, that one degree is your point, Gene. It's off the freaking grid. That's off the plan. It's off a 50, yeah. watt, 50 yard wide fairway. It is gone zone at 350 yards. It's not even close. And you're probably off by
2: one degree. Yep. It's very depressing.
0: So check your line (laughs) goals and check your car alignment
1: when you're driving down the highway.
0: Here's your tips of the day. Yeah. (laughs) So if you've hung around through all of that gear talk and all the route holes, I have a a very juicy bit of gossip for you from last week at Bay Hill that I will share on this podcast. I was talking to a a player, won't, won't mention names for obvious reasons, who told me that there is some news rumblings out on on tour about a potential um update to the USGA's the the insight report, the driver insight report or sorry distance insight report that they initially brought trotted out in, in twenty twenty. And they've you know had those areas of interest in in the research topics on on, you know, potential ways to to curb distance and they've been talking about it. There I he's he said something's coming. And it's gonna it's gonna it's right. gonna be it's gonna be pretty interesting. <laughs> I, I'll say like, you know
1: I I listen to other golf podcasts. One of my favorite is the shotgun start. And Brandon Porath who said he was out at the players um recently was this week I guess um uh, you know Rory hit a driver wedge into 16. And I'm like Yes, distance is an absolute skill, but like, at what point do guys have to hit long irons into far- into par fives again? Like, I kind of want to see that. I want, I know, like, look, I Roy's, Roy's best bomb most. and
0: gouge. Just let let, just let these <sighs> guys just let just don't let them, let them don't have take it I mean, away from regular thing. golfers.
1: I just tell you, don't take it away from regular golfers.
0: Regular don't, golfers, no, suck. <laughs> I, they 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 wouldn't. They would they would make a change at the Well, at the they've already they've
2: already time. talked about that. Yeah. Yeah, they make, make a change at the top well, level of professional yeah. golf.
0: I feel like I Gene think with, with all his obvious testing inside the golf ball.
2: Yeah. But the- well, but but you gotta remember, you gotta remember this. And here's the interesting equipment angle. And I was talking to someone about this the other day. Oh, because of Moynihan's press conference. You know, the PGA has always been lockstep with the USGA. They don't do a lot of RD on equipment. Whatever the USGA says, they go along with. I mean, let's face it, they're an entertainment organization. That's what they're there for. And if the USGA proposes rules that start affecting their product, i.e. the entertainment, and uh, viewership goes down, uh, you might start to see a little bit of a chasm between the USGA and the PGA. Because to your point, J-Wall, it's all about big drives and sticking pins. It's not about four hybrids being hit into, you know, uh, par fours. Nobody wants to see that. So here's, they want to see the exciting stuff.
1: Here's my argument, okay? Two of the most exciting things in golf. The golf ball rolling on the ground. Think of Lynx Golf when it lands and it starts rolling. People are glued to their freaking televisions rather than trying to watch a golf ball fly through the sky. Now, credit the camera work, but I don't care where the golf ball goes. It's in the sky. So that's my first argument on that. And secondly. Think of the most dynamic shot that you saw someone hit at the Masters. Was it a blasted drive, or was it something like crazy? Nope. Is Bubba Watson covering a freaking wedge out of nowhere and putting it on the green? Because that is exciting. And I think that's why, as a as a true golfer, I don't think people are actually people care about the numbers. It's a big you know wiener swinging contest. I don't care. Not even gonna say the viewer, <coughs> but like that's fine. But what makes it exciting is like the dynamic shots where people are escaping or when the golf ball is on the ground. I don't think it matters how far, how far the golf ball goes. I really don't. For amateur golfers, hit as far as possible because trust me, I've seen average driving distance. It's not great. But when you're out there and you want to see like the best players in the world test their skills, I want to see that golf ball move and I want to see it when they miss a shot to see them recover because that ability to recover is what separates the best from the the worst. Or not the worst, I mean just like so- the less less good.
2: <laughs> so let me ask you this. Would you be happy if four over won a tournament?
1: I don't care. But I don't care.
2: Yeah. It doesn't matter. Well, you're 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 the outlier. Most people do. That's there's a reason courses are set up and these guys usually win between 16 and 20 under. Uh-huh. It's because everybody wants to see birdies, everybody wants to see great shots and things like that. Nobody wants to see, you know, guy rolls in with a double bogey and wins the uh-huh. tournament. It's fun it's, one week out of the year. Not,
0: US, US Open. I mean, yes. if it's if it's a bloodbath, and then they've even had difficulty yes. trying to get that. But the week the one uh, week yeah. out of the year when uh, they struggle and pars a good score, that's fun. But I yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I don't yes. want to see it most weeks. The the action and the excitement happens when guys are, are firing at flags and there's a chance to make Eagle to, to you know get get into a tie for the lead on 16. It's we want to see fireworks the same way like chicks dig the long ball. Yep. It's in golf. Yep. I, I think they just want to. See, I, I mean, I do. I want to see guys bomb it out there. I don't want to see them struggle every week. If I wanted to do this, that, where, this is where I'm watch. waiting I for like I'd someone from an, an OEM point. just to like come and like take me away.
1: Like no, stop! Don't say that stuff. I'm just I'm just waiting for like a letter one day to be like you know. But and then uh, no, no, one tells me what I can can't say They will to send you a letter. Is.
0: They'll just, they'll just come in and like take you in the middle of the night.
1: How come my internet's not working every time I go to record a podcast and big <laughs> equipment's got me
0: locked up here. <laughs> big but no, no, I
1: just, I do. Because <clears throat> even testing is proven. Like I hit golf balls that go shorter, like just don't, like, normal golf balls that are available on the market. You hit a, a low compression spinny golf ball. It doesn't go as far, right? Like it's, it's just the nature of playing golf. Right. So. Um, yeah i mean i'm curious i'm curious one way or the other i just don't want it to t- take away from look professional baseball doesn't have aluminum bats they got to change when they go up right i think this this whole idea juicing, of bifurcation so they've,
0: they've got they've got a way to get around it yeah now i just
1: like i, I will say someone said this to me one time it's a good theory all right and all and it, because of this usga stuff now so like I, I I will not rename names, but it was like I think companies are starting to sign these influencers, like these fun influencers who are not professionals, because when they do, if the USA, if the USGA does change rules, they have this like millennial, gens, whatever younger people group of people that wow. watch golf. That is a pay that is a major
0: tinfoil hat. One right I know there. it was a it was a, this was like That's a the, good the one. Tinfoil, I, I actually like it
1: the tinfoil hats on it's like, well, why, why don't, why can't we just play the fun game and the pros play the different game? And I think, do I think that's why? No, I think it's, I think it's an eyeball thing and it's just a, it's a different way to market. Um, yeah. But it was a, it was like a, I was like, wow, like that was, that's tinfoil hat that I like. I, I mean, look, I don't, I don't think Sasquatch is roaming the hills. We don't want to go to that thing, but like it's a pretty clever little way to separate the pros from like the average golfer who are just going to enjoy to have fun Because like there are videos out there of golfers trying to eat 50 tacos and like, you know, whatever, shoot the score. Like those get a million views on YouTube. Like what? That doesn't have anything to do with professional golf, but they paid people because they're getting eyeballs, right? So like, (laughs) what's the difference? That's it. See, never good.
0: Well, golf, golf.
2: No, but golf is.
0: No, but
2: golf is moving more towards entertainment. And I think it's diversifying in that respect. It's not one or the other. It's just. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the full, just, yep. Yep.
0: I mean they're yeah. they're but they're I mean, Top Golf, season.
2: all of this stuff. Yeah, but it's 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 more golf as entertainment. It's not golf as the game. Uh, it you know can can drive, and I think that they've been successful at that. And it's like Callaway changing their name to Top Golf Callaway. They understand that entertainment. There's more dollars, and if they can peel golfers off. From their entertainment wing to buy golf equipment, they're doing well in both fronts.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've I think we've <laughs> we've done, we've gone down enough rabbit holes and put on enough tin tinfoil hats today. I think we'll call it good for episode one hundred and eighty of Fully Equipped. As always, if you want more gear news from us, you can check us out on social media. We are at Fully Equipped Golf on Instagram. And at Fully are Equipped on Twitter. And make sure that you check out the social handles because we do from time to time post giveaways. Just last week when I was at Bay Hill, TaylorMade gave me a couple of the grapefruit head covers. Tommy Fleetwood had one on his putter last week. And they gave me a mallet and a blade and gave those away on social. So make sure you keep a lock to those handles going forward. And that'll do it. Thanks as all for listening.